0: nature really grounds you there's nothing like it i feel lucky to be able to experience it so intimately
1: Hi, I'm Matt McKee. I created the Sweet Blast series of limited edition photos with the mission to start the conversation in the room about the bigger topics of food, art, and sustainability. This podcast is the companion piece to that project where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. Today, I'm talking with Kathleen Pierce. She is a Massachusetts native turned Mainer, a former food journalist and blogger. She now heads up communications and membership for Hospitality Maine, the trade group representing restaurants and inns across the state. You can find out more about the Sweet Blast series as well as other art projects I'm working on at theartofmattmckee.com. Please like and review this podcast so others can find us and join the conversation. Kathleen, thank you very much for joining me today.
0: Happy to be here.
1: You mentioned in your bio to me that you work for Hospitality Maine. What does that entail?
0: Well, it, it entails a lot of communication. We are the nonprofit trade group that represents hotels, and restaurants throughout the state. We do a lot of advocacy on behalf of the industry. I am in charge of communications as well as membership. So I get to go out and meet innkeepers, meet restaurateurs, try to get them to join us. And then you mentioned I formerly was a journalist. So I have uh, deployed my journalist skills into this role and I put out daily briefs to update the entire industry on what's happening in Maine in regards to food and dining and lodging.
1: Wonderful. That sounds like a, actually a very busy schedule. It is. Our relationship with food has certainly changed over the years, and perhaps none more so than this past year. As someone who's so intimately involved with with food production and with hospitality from a journalistic standpoint, what have you noticed that has kind of stood out the most?
0: Primarily, the main thing, though, is take-up.
1: One of my favorites.
0: So, oh, <laughs> right? Right. But now you can get anything in a box to go. So it's been interesting to see chefs adapt to this new world order. You know, some of them haven't. Some of them have closed. Sadly. You know, I've heard people say to me, chefs say, you know, we didn't get into this. We didn't open up a restaurant to put what we do in a cardboard box. You know, the whole experience of dining out has changed in the past year. Yeah. And it's all it's all about community, meeting people, seeing and being seen. And now, especially in Maine, we are so summer reliant. Everyone is waiting to see what's gonna happen and how things are gonna change this season, this spring and summer. And as a matter of fact, we had some very good news today, March 5th. You'll know pretty soon if you don't already. That The state just opened up travel to Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. You know, uh, no quarantine, no testing. Come on up.
1: That is fantastic <laughs> news.
0: Yeah. come to
1: Can you describe a little bit what local first means?
0: That is Maine's entire ethos up here. It's really part of life. Being in Massachusetts, I thought there was a local first movement that was pretty strong, but coming up to Maine. It is just an entire part of the culture here. It's in the schools, it's in the restaurants, the supermarkets, everywhere.
1: Definitely. Is there a way to commoditize food, make a living doing it, and still being mindful of our impact about the sustainability of our world?
0: Well, uh, yeah, sure. Purchasing your food from someone that you know, <laughs> a local farmer. We're lucky enough here. I live in North Socco. And we have farmers all around us. Uh, there's a major, well, it's not major con- considering, you know, compared to like the West Coast or the or the Midwest, but for New England, there's a pretty big farm around the corner from us. It's a family-run, multi-generational farm, and they grow butternut squash. And that one of their main suppliers is Hannaford. It's really fascinating to see, to know the farmers that are supplying to the supermarket. And, you know, there's another farm around the corner, a lot of apprentices from all over and uh, they used to have turkeys they used to do pigs they've kind of moved from that and other just doing like 100 organic produce and it's you know it's just amazing. i could ride my bike there they have a csa that i've been a part of community supported agriculture because we're so near the coast here in maine we're on the coast i've gotten to know oyster farmers uh, fishermen. You know, it's just, it's, it's really part of the culture.
1: So, yeah, uh, actually you mentioned the fishermen. Um, I've got, friends through my parents who are uh, members of the fishing community. And one of the things that's come up a number of times during dinner conversations is uh, the conflict, though, that, that's happening between the commercial fishing industries and uh, the state scientists who are attempting to measure and regulate practices. I
0: can say a couple things that I've experienced. For example, there are some restaurants that have done a bycatch dinner, which is sustainable seafood that gets caught in the net when they're there. So when fishermen are looking for cod, which is overfished and not really available too much in the Gulf of Maine anymore, something else will get in there like a perch or hake or pollock, which never used to be very popular. And now they're using them because they have them. (laughs) And, uh, And they're figuring out ways to make them tasty, put them on menus. Identifying them as such as being a sustainable resource, like you should consider eating pollock instead of cod or salmon, the lion of the sea, which is not, which is so became so popular that they're overfished. So there's been a big push here in Maine to open up diners and consumers eyes to take a look at these secondary fishes.
1: That's cool. You had also talked briefly about getting to know oyster farmers. And one of the things that has been fascinating to me is the idea of basically farming the sea. We've we've recently discovered tilapia, which is a very obviously a very mild fish that is farm raised, and kind of fallen in love with it. I'm, I'm I was the only person in the in the house that mm-hmm. would eat fish originally, and now they're starting to get into it. More because it's such a mild fish. In terms of the, the fish farming, how does that work for, say, oysters?
0: Uh, since I've been in Maine, I've noticed and, and I've met uh, oyster farmers that have opened up. So like startups, it's, it's fascinating. And I did do a story when I was a journalist. I was working for the Bangor Daily News. That's what got me up here to Maine. And I went out with a farmer on her boat in the Nonesuch River, which is in Scarborough. And she she showed us how she would plant the little, you know, the, I think they're spats, the, the tiny oysters into the bed of the river. And then she would come back and they would grow along a rope. She'd pick them up and they were like oysters already. Okay. So that was fast, and that became a, a tour. So, and, but she turned that into uh, uh, agritourism. I believe they call it agritourism, and took people up there. And um, it was called Such Oysters. And uh, a couple years ago, you could have actually see them on the menu at the oyster bar in New York City. Wow,
1: I think I've had them up in uh, in either Portland or, or further north than Damascata.
0: Well, Damascata has like the best oysters. We are talking about buying local and supporting local. It's so easy here in Maine and New England in general, I would
1: think. That actually goes along with what happened on a previous podcast where we were talking about the fact that on the coasts, it seems like eating fresh, eating sustainable is a lot easier than necessarily further inland yeah. has been. True.
0: And I also wanted to say something. that yeah. Here's an interesting, a funny story about oyster farmers during the pandemic. Um, there is one company in particular who is called Basket Island Oysters. And they are located right here Basket Island, which is in the casco of, May Island, of, of Portland. They had some employees, I guess, who lived in various places. Some of them in Saco, well, where I live. And during the pandemic, because restaurants were not open and they weren't buying oysters from these companies, they had a a surplus. So they put them in a cooler outside their place. And I drove by one day and it was like, dozen oysters, $20. And here's the, you know, drop your cash in here. Oh my gosh. And they, (laughs) yeah. So they kept that up for a while. So that was a very kind of fun pandemic special. (laughs) that you probably only get up, up in these
1: areas. Definitely. The I,
0: coastal regions of the Olympics. It,
1: it reminds me of the, the little farmers, they had a whole bunch of extra tomatoes or something like that. They would just put out a, a little table outside their house and you know leave money in the can and it'd be all set. I noticed in your bio that coffee came up a number of times as it's certainly a, a love of yours, it's certainly a, a love of mine as well, but it, it also has its controversies and everything. What, what's your favorite go-to?
0: What I really run on is just something dark. (laughs) So I I like it black, dark, and strong. So I occasionally will go for the fancy drinks. Nine out of ten times, I'm disappointed with the lattes and the cappuccinos. And I used to really like flat whites, Mm. which is kind of like a shorter, a more condensed cappuccino. However, not everyone knows how to do this. It's an Australian style of coffee. They invented it. But there was I still remember, and this was probably 10 years ago, I was in Manhattan in the Chelsea neighborhood. There's a terrific cafe there called Cafe Grumpy.
1: <laughs> Great name.
0: Yeah. And they had the best flat white ever.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: You can't, yeah. So I I like flat whites if done properly. Okay. But up here, similar to our oyster conversation, there are so many little private independent coffee roasters. And one of my new favorites is called Rwanda Bean. Talk about sustainability.
1: Okay. So they're they're getting the beans from from Rwanda, I, I assume then?
0: Yes. Yeah. So the owner founder of this company is from Rwanda. And he was in Portland, came to Portland, again, I think about seven or eight years ago. And he started roasting coffee from his hometown, from his home country. And he's donates a percentage of everything sold back to the villages of Rwanda. And it started out like a a feel-good project that people supported. But now, uh, just in the past year, They've expanded so much up here, and I'm really excited for them. The coffee's excellent, and they're about to open a major roastery and cafe in what's called Thompson's Point in Portland. It's like this cool new neighborhood. Uh, they took it's a it's a huge space, so I can't. So they're expanding. I'm very excited to see that, and of course, everyone loves the mission. So if you can. If you're spending $3 on a cup of coffee or $4, uh, if some of it's going to a good cause, you feel a little bit better.
1: <laughs> appeasing the guilt for spending the money. I get it. I totally get it. So you described to me uh, in your email, your philosophy is fun, creative, art forward. What is? Yes. What does that mean?
0: Well, I try to have fun on the job with whatever I do. Because uh, I think you can you can always bring creativity to anything, even if it's something dry, like a uh, a new protocol. In, in my case, we're getting across really kind of basic information to innkeepers and restaurateurs about how their world has changed. But you know, you can always make it a little more interesting because there, there's so much information coming out at people right now that. You know, the more you can stand out, be it a headline, be it a, a hashtag, the better, I think. Uh, there's so much information to overload would be a good topic for another time. But, um, yeah, and with with art, you know, my husband is a sculptor and I live on an art farm in Maine. And so instead of raising animals, we have, we're raising sculptures everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to feed them, yeah. so it's low maintenance. There you go. You no, know, it helps your your thinking, as you you know, as a as an artist, being around art work create the creative vibe. Just seeing something that catches your eye helps your thinking.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: People are, you know, people are moving here in droves ever since the pandemic. I mean, people knew that Maine was a great place, but they saw it as a great place from May to October. And now with um, people fleeing cities, <laughs> no knock on Boston, but, you know, people, they, they um, everyone's still a little bit unsure. So about high density areas because of COVID. So coming up to Maine, you have wide open spaces. I mean, people don't realize how big the state is. That's like as large as Texas almost. I mean, there's so many mains. So there's the Portland area that's urban. Then there's the Western mountains that's rugged. And there's the ski areas. And there's the coast. And there's beaches of all the orchard. And then you can just completely get lost the more north you go, all the way up to Canada. So it's, it's quite a frontier. you know, the food scene here has always been good. In the last 10 years, the city of Portland has attracted chefs from all over who are putting out some really exciting dishes, trying to one-up each other. (laughs) Got to love uh, that um, competition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even the small little places that you might not think much of are putting out some amazing food. Um, We went out a week ago with some friends to a restaurant in Portland called Little Giant which is in the West End. And they have a, during COVID, they created, they built a back deck that's covered, but there's slots on the side. So there's a lot of air coming in and out and it's heated. So it's, you know, it's like you're inside, but you're outside. And the food was amazing. You know, for a long time, people would think, oh, Portland, you gotta go to 4th Street, which, you know, I had James Beard, award-winning for a long time, but there's, and they certainly open the door for all these other shops and for the, the reputation to uh, explode, but there's so many other places. So it's, you know, it's great just to come up, look around. You can't go wrong, quite frankly.
1: I, I, yeah. I'm going to have to add that place to our list next time we are uh, up there. The only other question that I have at this point is, is uh, uh, hopefully a, a fun one. If you could have one special meal tonight for dinner, Any kind of dinner you want, what would it be and why?
0: Sushi. 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 Uh, I don't know. I haven't had it (laughs) because I haven't had it enough up here. So, you know, I mentioned how great the Portland food scene is. Uh, There is not here. There's not so much diversity up here. I I will say that before I before we moved to Maine, I was living in Lowell, Mass. And there was an incredible Southeast Asian food restaurant culture there. So the spices and like the the pho, all those flavors, we don't get up here. And also, I don't know if just for some reason, there isn't a lot of sushi. So we crave it often. And uh, that's usually what I I, want, but I don't have it so much, so. I love the fresh fish, and it seems healthy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I feel the same way. I feel the same way. mm -hmm. Do you think uh, that? that Thought it just occurred to me as we were talking, as you were talking about that. Do you think that that the lack of the diversity is that because? What has traditionally been the tourist population is mostly going there because they want to get fresh lobster and oysters and things like that? Or do you think it's because the whole bi-local movement mm-hmm. or some combination there? Yeah, on?
0: I, I think it's a combination. Lobster and Maine have been so inextricably linked for so long. Yeah, someone from anywhere, California, even Massachusetts, that's what they want, right? They want Maine lobster, I can't speak, of course, for everyone, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of chefs are a little bit tired of that, but <laughs> I think they feel like they have to have a lobster roll on the menu. Somebody, yeah. can, you can mix it up. There are some places that I've done an Asian bun with brown butter on the lobster roll. That's an even tied oyster. They, they actually had a James Beard award a couple of years ago. They created that dish, which is really popular. So, Um, There's another place called In by the Sea in Cape Elizabeth. They have an amazing chef. And they recently did a sustainable seafood dinner that we went to. His name is Andrew Chadwick, the chef, and he did like a lobster wonton soup. Oh,
1: my gosh. That sounds fantastic. Yeah.
0: And he did sushi, which I didn't know that he did. So I was very impressed with that. It's a, it's a good place to be. Mate, come on up.
1: <laughs> I'm thrilled that they're opening him back up. Um, I'm really excited about that.
0: Yes, I, I wanted to share with you one thing that we're doing here on the art Farm which is tapping our our own maple trees in the backyard and making maple syrup.
1: Oh, fantastic. Have you done your first batch yet? Oh,
0: yes. My husband, Patrick, was on it. I think it was about a week ago. So when it starts getting above 40 during the day, that's when you can tap them. So we started tapping them. He goes out looking at some right now. I'll say he's uh, a mat. He's made a bunch of batches already. What he does, he takes it in and he reduces it on our wood burning stove, and then puts it over on the regular stove. And then uh, next thing you know, we're having French toast with this amazing syrup that was from our trees. And yesterday we were drinking sap. He brought the sap in, and you know, because before you reduce it down, I think it's like forty percent or more than that. You you really reduce it. But when you drink the sap, it's it doesn't even taste sweet, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, like if wow. you were
0: blindfolded, you might not no, You might think it was just like a flavored water, just slightly flavored. It's not that sweet, but it's really good for you. The trace minerals.
1: Is it like honey, where where they say that uh, if you're eating honey from a local farm that's around the corner from you, it helps your immune system or helps you not have? I
0: think so because I don't know if you've seen it, but you can actually buy sap water boxes. And guess what? One other thing I wanted to share with you and your listeners. I got my hands on some ground elk recently, and it was fabulous.
1: Ground elk.
0: That's right. Have you ever had it? No. I was pretty excited. Um, There's this great meat market near where I work in Gardner, Mass. And it was like, you know, it's a family meat market. So I went in and I'm looking at everything and I, ground elk, I've never seen that. And he said, yeah, it's from a local farm. It's very lean even leaner than bison wow i don't know if you've had bison or buffalo it's it's like that but even leaner and uh, i thought it was excellent so i'm going to be getting more of that
1: so do you have to add fat to it when you're cooking it in order to to no nope
0: we kind of did just like an american chop suey thing um but i was thinking it would make for a good burger
1: Mm hmm Another one yeah. of my favorites. All right. Uh, wow.
0: It's Just one more plug for nature. Living up in Maine. Uh, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Boston, and I thought that was nature. But here, it's pretty amazing to be able to just walk out. We have trails outside our door and running water and just kind of unplug during your Zoom sessions. And it's very meditative. Semi-wild here. And, you know, nature really grounds you. There's nothing like it. I felt lucky to be able to experience it so intimately.
1: (laughs) That's wonderful. Perfect. (sighs) Wonderful. I certainly learned new things about Maine that uh, even though I've been going up there for most of my life um, that I had never, never understood before. Um, And I'm I'm thrilled to hear about the the local first uh, in terms of sustainability and in terms of food and now i want oysters and sushi (laughs) i know so kathleen thank you very much
0: thank you Awesome. That was fun.
1: Thanks for checking in with Cherry Bomb, the podcast, the companion piece to Sweet Blast, which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. My guest today was Kathleen Pierce, a former food journalist and blogger now heading up the communications and membership for Hospitality Maine, the trade group representing restaurants and inns across the state. Cherry Bomb, the podcast, is produced by me with consulting help from Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts. Please like and review this pod so that others can find us. And please start in on the conversation.